Before we bring on today's guests, I'd like to mention that the Indio Broker Podcast is brought to you by Indio Technologies. Indio Software is for commercial insurance agents looking to provide a first-rate client experience to their insureds. Indio turns the application, renewal, and accord submission process into a fully digital, easy-to-use experience for insureds, similar to a TurboTax-like experience for the business owner. As a result, agencies using Indio are able to retain and acquire more business. Ryan, you've had some experience with Indio. What what have you seen that's a benefit? Ultimately, I think what it breaks it down, Indio makes it easier to do business with your agency. You know, everybody talks about how arduous it is to fill out apps. Well, Indio makes it easier. For the main part, if you're looking for a way to get easier data collection, Indio could be your solution. Be sure to check out Indio. Uh, they'll provide you a one-on-one demo and show you how it all works. Welcome to the Digital Broker Podcast with Steve Anderson and Ryan Deeds, where we help agents and brokers drive profitability through operational excellence. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Digital Broker Podcast. I'm Steve Anderson, along with my co-host, Ryan Deeds. And uh, Ryan, we've got a guest with us uh, on this uh, episode I'm really looking forward to talking with. We do, we do. Michelle Trueblood from Horton in Chicago, and she is one of of the folks that I've met through my travels. And um, we kind of hit it off, and I felt like we had a good connection. So I said, "Oh, please!" I begged her to come on board, and she she agreed to to, to be with us today. So without further ado, hi, Michelle. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm I'm actually really excited to talk about HR issues. So. Uh, Like Ryan said, uh, Michelle Trueblood, I work for the Horton Group. We are based actually just outside of Chicago in Orland Park. My particular office is here in Chicago. We also have locations in Wisconsin and Indiana. We are a mid-market broker, roughly 400 employees, about $75 million in revenue a year. Yeah, so that's a big, big, I mean, for for the vast majority of our agents, I, I would believe that they're going to be under that size. And so today we wanted to have you on because every time we talk to any kind of a principal and in insurance organization, HR comes up. And, and it's funny because I think that both HR and IT have had a huge transformation in the last couple of years. And I was hoping maybe you could talk us through, you know, where where are we with HR today? Where were we, where were we before? And and what's the what's the differences that you're having to that you're seeing, and how how plugged in you guys are comparative to before? Well, I think irrespective of how large you are, I think some of the HR issues are exactly the same, um, in the respect that we're all looking for top talent. We're all looking for the best person to come and work in any position that we have, but. For me personally, I'm I'm really fortunate to work for the Horton Group in the respect that our CEO is very visionary and has a, a great sense of how to leverage each of his positions within the company, mine being one of them. And as the CHRO here, I've had the opportunity to take a very traditional, I'll call it a personnel office, if you will, for lack of a better term in terms of the HR office. That was really probably five or ten years ago very much a uh, a paper pushing type of an office, you know, you went, you you really didn't want to be seen in HR, if you will. We were very much, um, you know, just the very basic payroll, 
perhaps some compliance-related issues. If you didn't get paid, you came to see what went wrong in HR. Um, I think where we are today is that um, companies are looking to HR to be the innovative strength when it comes to their strategic plans um, and to be a business partner at the executive table. For me in particular, um, I am a member of the executive team here at the Horton Group. I'm involved in every aspect of the organization because we really are placing the value around getting things done through people and realizing that, you know, whether it's a business need or it's something that we need next week or we're going to need five years from now, that HR is really an integral part of those forecasting needs, understanding the complexity of our business, determining our organizational structure and design. And so I think we're always looking for, you know, some of the very tactical things that we have to do every day to to keep the wheel going around. But also we're trying to also look where do we want to be five years from now and what do we need to be doing today to make sure that we're still maintaining our market position. And where do you see yourself in five years? I mean, what what are some of the issues you're facing um, from a, a personnel standpoint? And yeah, you know the numbers as well as I do, but, you know, about 65% of an agency's revenue, or excuse me, expense is employee-related. So it's a, it's a huge expense. And certainly you, like myself, have heard the, uh, as I call it, the demographic time bomb that's facing <laughs> us. And so I guess, you know, I feel like it's a huge strategic issue, and I'd just be interested in how you're approaching that organizationally and you know, what has changed in terms of recruiting and the type of people and training and engagement and, right, we could, all kinds of different things we could talk about. Well, I think you're right, absolutely. I think we all kind of hear that ticking time bomb. Um, Just depends on how loudly you hear it. I think right now we have, number one, we're investing in the right things. And by the right things, I mean uh, training. Uh, We're very aggressive around having everyone understand how to have a career path once they're hired inside the company. Um, We also do a lot around recruiting um, in terms of being really good internally for our current employees so that they really buy into the culture and the direction that we're trying to, to go as a company. I think, you know, the war for talent, we're not just competing with other insurance agents for talent. We're competing with, you know, everybody else in this city or anywhere else for talent because I think a lot of times we don't have a, a perfect, you know, we don't have a perfect product that's coming in trained exactly to work in the insurance industry. So we have to be ready to provide on-the-job training. It's a very sophisticated, uh, comprehensive training irrespective of the position that we're bringing folks into. And I think the importance of culture, which granted I think it's a little different definition for some than others, but the importance of building the right culture so that people are excited about what it is that you're doing as a company. They're talking to their friends. They're telling their families how happy they are, the place that they work. Also helps with some of the employee referrals as it pertains to recruitment. Uh, We have put a lot of investment, a lot of capital investment around our employee experience because if you have a sense of what you're competing with in the marketplace, the importance of having some of those same value taps inside of the organization has has proven to be um, very advantageous for us when it comes to recruiting. I personally think that building a culture that makes employees want to come to work every day, as simple as that sounds, is so powerful and it helps us build an employment brand that we can really be proud of. And it gives us a story to tell 
to prospective employees, whether it is a referral or, you know, we work with a lot of college campuses. We have 14 or 15 college campuses. We're on every year just reminding folks that there's tremendous opportunity in the industry. And with the unemployment rate so low, which is so good, it's also so bad for us because it means that talent is getting, you know, it's getting dried up quickly. So we have to think outside the box, if you will, of what it is that we're looking for. I think one of the things that we very aggressively did in the last couple of years here is we we kind of t- we took a step back and said, you know, what are we really hiring to? And that's where the you know the whole conversation around you know who are we, who do we want to be, and what are our values. And once we got real definitive around what our corporate values were going to be, we now hire to them. Uh, quite frankly, we fire to them. Mm. We train to them. We evaluate to them. We promote to them. And we do our best to try and live to them, um, which isn't always, you know, that's when the rubber hits the road. It's not always the easiest thing to do, but it's the tough conversations that I think are really helping us advance the cause around talent acquisition. Well, there's all kinds of stuff in there. Uh, I have so many questions I want to follow up with you on. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Let's let's start with you had talked about uh, capital investment in employee mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. I love that because it, we, we talk so much about client experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I would think that if we said employee experience five years ago, most people are going to look at you sideways. Sure. And today, I, I believe what you believe. Engaged employees make good employees make, you know, they're going to go the distance for you. And so, yeah, I, I love that, that. That was, Steve and I looked at each other when you said that because that, that it, it just resonates, you know, how do you define employee experience? You know? Well, I guess my question is, what would, uh, can you give us some examples of what a capital expense to create a better uh, employee experience would be for you? What, what have you done? Well, for example, we have, we started from day one when it comes to an onboarding experience. I, I feel like it's something that is just so quickly overlooked because we're usually so desperate to hire people that you can't wait to get them in their chair and actually working. But if you kind of take a step back, kind of slow down to speed up and really give them a thorough onboarding. So with every new hire here at the Horton Group, we bring them in for a week-long orientation onboarding experience where they get not only, you know, the nuts and bolts of, of who we are, but we literally take a deeper dive into what our brand is, uh, what are the, how do you quickly get people engaged and involved? What are the opportunities? We look out at a calendar and say, you know, these are the things coming up. Like, we want them to grow roots as quickly as possible and start buying in almost from, quite frankly, from day one. And also to kind of, we found that there's success with bringing people on in a cohort group, if you possibly can. You know, it's kind of like your class reunion mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit. And so if they have somebody else that they're going through these experiences with, that they don't feel like they're the only rookie, we've also found that there's tremendous success with moving them through an onboarding experience as a group. So we do hiring once a month, and we literally, on day one, they meet the CEO. They get a sense of who Glenn Horton is. He talks about Vision 2020 and the direction that we're trying to get the company to, to go and to grow. We talk to them very early on, probably day two, about everybody here can have a career path. Here's who you should be talking to. Here are the classes that you should be taking, which is another capital investment. One of the things that we have spent tremendous capital in is around our concept of of training and development, not only for producer development, which we are now bringing on our fourth or fifth class of new producers in the last 16 months, 
but we also have a Horton University that has 400 virtual classes that we have worked with different training partners to have at their fingertips available 24-7 that if they need help with something or, you know, I'm currently a CSR, I think I want to be a client manager, here's some of the classes that you should take to move up within our organization. So we want to make sure that they understand all the opportunities that they have to grow at Horton should they want to be able to do that. And I think the other thing is, is we walk our people through you know, here are service tracks that you can kind of move through, but there's also leadership tracks. There's more of a, a corporate track that if, you know, you want to be some of the behind-the-scenes ancillary type of functions that we have, we've put tremendous resources there as well. Um, and we do a lot of training. I mean, we're constantly training when there's, you know, anything new that comes up, whether it's, you know, soft skills or very tactical processes that we're doing, we, we're just constantly doing training bringing in innovative guest speakers, making people feel a connection to the industry, which has certainly been at no small expense to our company. Do you have a, um, well, I want to say training person uh, or a team uh, that's dedicated to the training? We do, which is also under HR as well. So okay. we have an actual training and development team. Uh, we brought on a you know a graduate level instructional designer because what I found out very quickly is some of the content that we wanted to teach, it wasn't in a box sitting on a shelf somewhere just waiting for us to purchase it and bring it in. We needed to really train our people in the way that we live at Horton. And so we wanted somebody who could actually take a basic concept with somewhat of a subject matter expert, get a sense of where we wanted to go, and to actually build the training from the ground floor up of what that would look like. So we actually have an actual training team based here in Chicago that, you know, some of it is through um, different partnerships, through the National Alliance, through um, international foundation, depending on whether they're PNC or benefits. But then a lot of it is very custom training as well around our values, around the way that we do things at Horton. Now, you mentioned your your one-week orientation as, as uh -huh. kind of the beginning of your onboarding process. How long does that onboarding process go on? I mean, is it a couple so you're, of weeks, you're, a few yeah. months? Is it... <laughs> so you're, everybody's here. doesn't matter what perspective, what position you come in, uh, even if it's – in fact, I'm here in Chicago this week with our interns. So even our interns who are with us 12 weeks, their first week is spent onboarding with us here to walk them through exactly who we are, who we want to be, where are we going, what does it look like on a daily basis around here. And then after that, they are set up immediately as our most employees. Uh, what everybody has a supervisor, a, a leader, if you will, a team manager inside of the organization, which is something that a couple of years ago we didn't have either. From an organizational development standpoint, we realized as the old cliche goes, people don't leave companies, they leave their manager. Mm -hmm. And so we realized the importance of getting really strong frontline management inside of the organization to try and have the impact that we wanted to have to continue growing at the rate that we've been able to grow. And so the handoff goes from the, tra the training team basically owns them for the first week. And then after that, they have a, a really a seamless handoff to their division, to their supervisor. The supervisor participates in the onboarding experience, kind of slowly, you know, migrates them to the actual team. And then they move to their team within their respective divisions, but they're still very much a mapped out training plan for what we want all of our new hires to go through, even within the division. So whether that's 
back through some classes at Horton University, if that's specific carrier training, if that's, you know, lunch and learns, if that's ride-alongs, whatever that entails, that's also mapped out. And given the fact that we do it on a monthly basis, it's not just a constant fire drill of what do you do with new employees. It kind of allows us to have a systematic kind of methodical way of onboarding people. And I think that's so key for getting that initial engagement of an employee that, that you know, they made a good decision in coming to work with you. Absolutely. And just a sense of scale, I mean, in, in a, in, what's the average in, in number of individuals that you would have in? I love the cohort idea. I mean, I, I really do because it seems like you build camaraderie from the get-go, people sharing the same pain that going through. Mm-hmm. I also love operationally, you, know, you guys have indicated. So, so what, you have a week, a month that that's your hiring week? You, hey, we, we start on, we're going to hire you on the 15th of X month, and that's when we hire all our people. Is that kind of how that works? That's exactly how it works. It's not how it used to work, but it's how it works now. Because when I first started here, we were onboarding people just, you know, catch as catch can, just as quickly as we could get them, right? So it, you never wanted to keep somebody waiting. But what we found is that we were also experiencing turnover because we were turning them over to teams too quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could hardly spell Horton right. or insurance, <laughs> more importantly. Yeah. And, and they were lost. And, and they didn't have, you know, a buddy or a cohort or a manager in some cases. And so we really kind of had to drop back, reevaluate what we thought we could change very quickly, what we thought we could have some wins around and some of those things that we needed to, to make some changes around. And we did that very quickly. Um, it was no small feat. <laughs> Looking back on it, it, it seems, you know, pretty revelationary that we decided to do this as quickly as we did. But I think once we started seeing, like, this just makes so much more sense to us. It's so much easy from a payroll perspective. It allows people to understand and get them acclimated to the payroll system. It also allowed me, from an HR perspective, to get everybody in line with our plan design as it pertains to our employee benefits. So there was no, oh, my goodness, does this person, is this person going to have coverage? How long is this person going to have to go on COBRA before they come over? You know, all of those questions were being answered when we could very methodically work through all of the things that came into play. So our IT department wasn't constantly in a scramble to get, you know, email set up and computers aligned and, you know, get everybody's, you know, carrier access, you know, acclimated in the way that it needed to be. So it just, it allowed us all to work together quite, just so much more in a seamless professional manner. And it gave a much better impression to our new employees. So there must have been some kind of dialogue about trade-off because for if I'm a new hire looking for that job, have, uh-huh. you, have you seen anybody say, oh, no, I can't wait that long? I mean, because operationally, I think you're just like you said, you're able to define the experience so much because every week we have new hires. Right? <laughs> every, every week, every day, I might be dealing with this new hire in this stage or that new hire in this stage. And I, I really love that idea. Well, it definitely helps us kind of keep the chaos to a minimum. I'm not going to tell you that it's not still kind of a a frantic race to the finish every month to get them through. But, you know, we map it out a year in advance, and we're all singing from the same songbook, if you will. We all know exactly, you know, we get better every time. We've done it now for about a year and a half. So it's it's kind of becoming second nature to us. Everybody understands what's got to be done when. But when it comes to um, explaining that timeline, 
I find that most prospective employees find it refreshing because then they can figure out, okay, when do I need to offload my current benefit plan to move over seamlessly to Horton's plan? Mm -hmm. When do I need to turn in my two weeks? What projects do I need to wrap up? And I think it honors the place that they're coming from in the respect that it, it, we never want someone to leave on bad terms, even if they're leaving somewhere to come to us. And so I think even in the interview process, it kind of speaks to who we are that, you know, even if people would, I mean, we have people tell us all the time, I can start tomorrow. We, we always say, you know, hey, that's not who we are. We want you to make sure that you honor where you're coming from, give them, you know, perf- you know enough notice, make sure you leave things on good terms. And so, you know, we really don't have that many people. In fact, I can't think of, you know, very few that would ever really question why, uh, you know, we try and make it as, you know, as seamless and frictionless as possible for them to, to onboard with us. You know, there are always, you know, exceptions, you know, certain extenuating circumstances that, you know, we may have to have a one-off hire here and there, um, which we would certainly be willing to do to not lose talent. But for the most part, people buy into it, they get it, they can plan their life. In some cases, they want to take a little week vacation before they start somewhere else if they've been somewhere for quite some time. You know, so there's all the things that they kind of want to get in order before they come over on our side, and it just gives them a better plan to work against. Oh, yeah. I mean, my head's just kind of spinning because I have, you know, when you think about defining that employee experience and first impressions are so important, mm-hmm. uh, if they're in a room with four or five other individuals, it, maybe it's not so overwhelming. You know, I feel bad for our new hires. Sometimes they go through and they've got to remember all the faces. Right. <laughs> you know, and so how many uh, on average on a, in a month, you know, from a how many new hires do you guys have? Is that five? Well, I think uh, let's take last year, for example. I think we brought on just over 70 new hires um, in the course of a year. So, you know, we may have had a, a bumper crop one month or something sure. that we may have had 12 and the next month we may have had six. We've had some months that we've had, you know, five, you know, with the intern class right now, I think we've got 14 in there. So it doesn't ever get so overwhelming that all of a sudden you've got 40 people, but I think it's small enough and intimate enough that you can really teach and train to the individualized needs because we might have 20-year producer coming over from somewhere else sitting next to a brand new just graduated college CSR. So it really gives you this very eclectic combination every month that we never, you know, it's, we never know what we're going to get until we look at the next month. And one month has never been the same in terms of the complexion of the class from one month to the next. It just depends on what our hiring needs are and where our talent's coming from. So did they see an increase in employee? Because, I mean, you know, one of the things we always hear about millennials is that it's a two-year gig, it's a three-year gig, and they're moving on, you know. But I've always had a hard time with that if if the corporate culture is accepting and moving them forward and keeping them challenged and giving them the impact. And so to me, that seems like, was that a reaction to turnover or just dissatisfaction with how ingrained they were, they were the, the experience they were having? And then have you seen that increase retention? Well, I think without question, we've seen onboarding increase retention, if you will. But I can also validate the fact that when we started studying as an HR team, our turnover, and we've certainly had turnover in double digits, um, you know, when we really started analyzing 
why are they leaving us, whether it was voluntary or involuntary, really some of the call-outs were right back to us of some of the things we weren't paying attention to and some of the things that we had well within our control of changing. So when we looked at uh, turnover, for example, in the last couple of years, there really was that sweet spot, if you will, that if they would get to about the two-and-a-half-year mark and for whatever reason, they would leave us. We didn't know the reason at that time. And so when we started doing a, a much more probing type of an exit interview, we found out that either, A, they had been here long enough that they didn't feel like they would look like they were job hopping, like, hey, I got here and, you know, I don't know that I want to hop off this quickly. That might look poorly on my resume. Or in some cases, we found out that they had gotten their feet wet inside of the, the insurance industry, and we weren't staying competitive in some of the areas that they wanted us to stay competitive in around an employee experience. So we really tried to continue to peel back the onion and figure out what it was that we needed to do. One of the things we had to implement since I've been here is flexible work arrangements, and that wasn't something that, again, traditional HR really had an offering to, and that was a big that was practically a seismic change inside of our organization. It wasn't really ever discussed much. We knew that it was something that existed. We just didn't think we could ever make it work inside of our of our agency. But it's actually working extremely well, and we have seen it have a direct correlation to employee retention. What, what uh, explain the flexible uh, work time that you have implemented? So what we have, it's, it's a formalized program. It isn't, you know, just... Word of mouth, it's an actual formal process that you go through that after you have been with us enough time, and in some cases, you know, it could be six months, it could be a year, it could be a few months, um, that once we have a sense that you know your job and you feel comfortable doing it, you can actually apply for a flexible work arrangement. And so we allow employees to work from home a couple of days a week, or we allow employees to kind of make the adjustment to their schedule that makes the most sense in their life because flexible is really defined by the employee more so than it's defined by the company. So if it's super important for you to be able to put your kids on the bus and come to work, you know, you still want to put in an eight-hour day, but you'd rather work, you know, nine to five instead of eight to four. We want to make sure that we're honoring what they're doing outside of work to make sure that they're productive and excited about coming back to work the next day. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I want to go back to a comment you made earlier about recruiting on college campuses, and Mm -hmm. you've mentioned a couple times of a a group of interns uh, that I assume are working this summer. Can you talk a bit more about that and and how how do you do it and what impact that has had in terms of finding uh, people to come into the organization? Sure. So the intern program is not a new concept for the Horton Group. They've done it for many years. It's just that I think every year we keep getting a little better at what it is that we're doing. So throughout the year, the HR team is on, um, you know, a variety of campuses. You know, since we're in four, four states here pretty close to Chicago, we recruit in Michigan, we recruit in Wisconsin, we recruit in Illinois, we recruit in Indiana. Uh, We certainly target some of the risk management schools because we're certainly interested in, you know, all of the good products that come out of of an Illinois State University, for example. But uh, we also realize that we've got to kind of stretch our, we got to stretch our outreach when it comes to finding good professionals, good recruits, if you will, on college campuses. So we go out throughout the year to just kind of do some brand maintenance to make sure that they know, hey, we're out here, we're hiring, we're growing, here's who we are. But one of the things that we've actually done is formalized internship programs with 
you know, a dozen schools, if you will, every year. So when they offer career fairs, we go out, we actually are there, we interview on site, we give interns a sense of what their internship would look like, which has also changed a bit. We, we used to kind of be very, I'll say, maybe too focused on exactly looking for perfect unicorns on all of these college campuses. You know, if you had a sales profile, we wanted to bring you in and try you out in, in sales internship. If you were somebody that didn't have a sales profile, we would think, well, no, there'll be more operations or, you know, more transactional in there. And what we've come to realize is we just need good employees and allow employees to come inside of the organization and kind of get a sense of where they would fit inside of us. And so we kind of change the momentum from, I guess, from pull to push or push to pull. Mm -hmm. Um, And so our internship this year is a rotational internship. And so we went back to who are we hiring? And we went back to our values. And our values, your values have to be simple. You have to be able to explain them to people in a way that doesn't take a dissertation to explain what you're trying to do. And it's something that everybody understands. And for us, it's being driven, excellent, and together. And so when we interview, we do behavioral type of questioning in our interview process, especially with an internship, because they don't have a lot of work experience to speak from. And so we talk about, you know, give me an example when or how did you react if. And so we really looked for just really good employees. And so, yeah, the, the profile would be important, but let's just get a really good group of people and see if we can impress them enough that we would be their employer of choice when they graduate college. And so this year we have uh, the interns actually doing rotation throughout all of our locations in several of our dis- different disciplines to expose them to as many opportunities within the insurance industry as we possibly can. So if they, let's say they didn't have a great sales experience or they found out that that's of no interest to them, we don't want them to disengage with the Horton Group. We want them to still figure out where they want to be inside of the company if they hit those three values for us. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's, it's just such a, a a great mindset, and and I think what as an industry we need to be doing uh, overall in terms of attracting that next generation of uh, people who are going to take the organizations where they where they need to go. And like, if you're if you're willing to learn, we're willing to take you. <laughs> and I, and I think it's like you said, Steve, about the risk. You know, agencies are so risk adverse and we're risk adverse in technological selection and we're risk adverse in the way that we bring in HR and everything. And I think that those agencies that like Horton, that really I mean, that this is not a side thought. HR is this is a gigantic thing there. I mean, and so and, and from my perspective, in the, the smaller agencies and in the larger agencies, HR becomes the most critical component because it is the lifeblood of what you're bringing in. So, like you said, Michelle, that the fact that you hire for those those key qualities and then match the, their skill sets internally as best as you can that is so perfect because i it, it it's hard to get that engagement when you're trying to force a, a you know a peg into a square hole or something i just uh, that's very very impressive well the fact is is that you know even if we taught you how to do it today that's going to change a couple of years or maybe not even a couple maybe, of years yeah, from now. And yeah. so, you know, we're constantly looking to improve and we are changing. If, if we're not changing, we're not growing. If we're not growing, we're going out of business. So we're very upfront with the fact that we move very fast paced. We embrace change. We, we look at it. I mean, we're constantly changing. It's amazing how many things have changed just in the, you know, 
the three years I've been here in a, in a very positive way. But there are some people that are just change-averse as well, and that, that isn't the environment for them. So we do the best we can to make you feel a little more comfortable with some of the things that are going on. But, you know, we're running to keep up with our industry right now. And so we're constantly sharpening the saw when it comes to technology skills. You know, the next, the next portal is the next training class. You know, we're really looking at how we really bring in operational efficiency. And if we're going to do that, we have to train to that efficiency as well. Um, and I think it's just, inc- just incredibly important to just constantly keep the culture of continuous improvement in front of them. And you can't just do it in pockets inside the company. That's the one thing I'm incredibly proud of is just how much, as an executive team, we, we try and live what we, we say is important, and we try and be good soldiers for the process as well. So, you know, we're all always working on ourselves. We're always trying to take a training class or, or make sure that we're teaching a class or make sure that we're there or recognizing some of our employees who have really taken, you know, sharpening their saw to the next level. And so we, you know, because they'll call us out. They know if it's not authentic. So we really have to live what we say we're going to to hire to. We have to be those best models inside of the company for that change as well. Well, I think you guys are leading the, the insurance industry, and we're about out of time, but I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on, and, you know, we, we hope down the stretch maybe you'll join us again because I think Steve and I are just, like, looking at each other like, oh, my God, we could just talk for hours. I was going to say, we, I, I have a few notes and questions we don't have time to get to, so, uh, Michelle, I hope you'd agree to come back to us and Oh, it would be future. my pleasure. Thanks so much for thinking of us. Anytime. So, um, if people listening, Michelle, have uh, a question, uh, what is the best way to get a hold of you? Well, they can certainly email me. It's Michelle Trueblood, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E dot Trueblood, T-R-U-E-B-L-O-O-D at thehortongroup.com. That would be great. And again, thank you so much for being on here. Look forward to continuing the conversation in the future. Yeah, you My are. sincere pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, you're awesome. Thank you so much. Take care. Michelle. All right. Bye. This has been another episode of the Digital Broker Podcast with Steve Anderson and Ryan Deeds. Send us your questions and comments, and if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. This podcast is brought to you by Indio Technologies. Indio provides insurance agents a first-rate client experience by turning the application, renewal, and accord submission process into an easy-to-use, fully digital experience. As a result, Agencies using Indio are able to retain and acquire more business. To learn more about Indio and why agencies such as Risk Strategies, ABD, and Heffernan Insurance use Indio, go to www.useindio.com. That's use, U-S-E, Indio, I-N-D-I-O, dot com.